I'm excited this morning to continue our, uh, our series called Bridges. Um, you know, when I, when, I first, when I first saw this on the, uh, on the preaching schedule, my, my first thought was actually Bridges to Revival. Um, so this morning, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to please write down, where's the oil? Where's the oil? You know the worst, can I tell you the worst thing about having a vehicle? It's that it requires fuel to run. Okay, can we, let's be honest. Cars have come a very, very long way. I still remember, Dad, you remember how unsafe vehicles used to be for children? Like, I legitimately remember, this may have been one of my first memories. My parents at one point in time owned an old, like, GMC Jimmy. And at the time, like, it was an extended cab, but the seats in the back didn't face forward. They faced each other. I remember going on long trips in this GMC Jimmy, like, <laughs> looking at my brother, thinking, I mean, at the time, I didn't think to myself, if we get into a crash, we are dead. Like, this is, <laughs> this little seatbelt that's going, this is not helping anyone, okay? Like, this is, it's the illusion of safety. It's like when you're on an airplane, and, and, and they, they force you to go through the security and safety protocols, and, like, you see this little sheet of people putting the mask on and, you know, strapping their children in, and everybody's calm. You notice that? Like, everybody's so calm. But the reality is, like, listen, dude, if you get into an airplane crash, you're dead. Like, this, this thing, all it's doing is it's giving you something to look at, while you're plummeting from 30,000 feet. <laughs> like, it's the illusion, it's, 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 so, it's so you feel like you're in control of something. It's the illusion of safety. But as sophisticated as our vehicles have become, they still require the same basic element to function. Fuel. Listen, whether it's electricity or gas or diesel or jet fuel, if you're empty, you're not going anywhere. I'm going to share a parable with you this morning that's been eating at me for a while. This is um, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. And just before you ask, yes, we are going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning. It says this. It says, at the time, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy. I want you to, I want you to key in on this real quick. All. They all fell asleep. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, master, master, open up for us. And he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. 
There's a couple of things that I want to point out in this passage. Can I do something this morning? Can I just preach today? Is that all right? You know, I normally, I normally, I normally try, to, try to bring a lot of a teaching element into my, into my sermons, but I felt this morning like I just wanted to preach a bit. But I wanted to point out a couple of things here. And the first one is that this is not a message to unbelievers. It's a message to believers. You see, the, 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 the ten virgins, this, this, this implies that there was a purity and, there was impro- and, and they, they were set apart. More than that, they knew the bridegroom at least by name. They were chosen. They were chosen to meet him. They were chosen to enter into his house. This is not a message about the, the wise ones were believers and the unwise ones were unbelievers. Actually, what it's saying was they were all chosen. They were all believers. But you can be a Christian and still be living very unwisely. See, they all had lamps, meaning that they had the means of illumination. They knew that the bridegroom existed. Does anybody in here remember being broke enough that even though you had a car, you still had to walk to work? Just because you have the vehicle for travel doesn't mean you have the means or the ability to travel. Maybe, maybe put it to you a different way. Just because you've encountered Jesus once doesn't mean you'll always stay true to him. See, the oil of illumination is the Spirit of God. It's the continued longing for His presence, His power, and relationship in your life. I want you to listen to this. This is a a, kind of a long quote, but this is A.W. Tozer. He says, Their creed requires them to believe in the personality of God, and they have been taught to pray, Our Father, which is in heaven. Now, personality and fatherhood carry with them the idea of the possibility. And you understand this, the possibility of personal acquaintance. This is admitted, I say, in theory, but for millions of Christians, nevertheless, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Over against all this cloudy vagueness stands the clear scriptural doctrine that God can be known in personal experience. A loving personality dominates the Bible. Walking among the trees of the garden and breathing fragrance over every scene, always a living person is present, speaking, pleading, loving, working, and manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people have the receptivity necessary to receive the manifestation. The Bible assumes as a self-evident fact that men can know God with at least the same degree of immediacy as they know any other person or thing that comes within the field of their experience. The same terms are used to express the knowledge of God as are used to express knowledge of physical things. God is not far off, I'd like to let you know this morning. See, if, if you didn't catch what Tozer is saying here, He's saying that the simple reading of scripture and text more than implies that just as I can know my wife, I can know my God. Not in theory, not in philosophy, not in doctrine, but in practice. That when I speak to God, God speaks back to me. That when I commune with God, God is waiting to commune with me. Can I remind somebody in the room that God wants you more than you want him? 
I don't say that because God is some sort of like, you know, obsessed boyfriend, like, oh my gosh, church, come to me. No, it's because God has perfect longing and we have selfish longing. God wants you to know him. This then is the difference between those with oil and those without. The ones without oil believed in the bridegroom. The ones with oil were determined to meet him. The ones without oil believed he existed. They were willing to wait a certain period of time. The ones without oil were determined to wait as long as it takes. So I got a couple questions I want to ask you. And the first one is, what are you preparing for? What are you preparing for? You know, about a week, probably a lot of parents in the room, that you, you, your kids are still in school, you know what I'm talking about. About a week, maybe two weeks before school starts back up, we like change our entire routine. Now, technically, it's still summertime, right? And like your kids, like we start shoring up like bedtime, like we start cutting back on a lot of the other recreational stuff because what are we trying to do? We're not just trying to get like new school books and new shoes and, you know, and school clothes and all that. No, I'm trying to get you in a rhythm so that when school does start, you don't wake up at six o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh my God, what day is it? What time is it? Why isn't the sun up? I actually want to set you up for success in your first week of school. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to force you to live a couple of weeks as though you're going to school when you're not. Listen, I got to, <laughs> this is a new part of my notes. I got to tell somebody in the room, we really actually need to live as though Jesus is coming back. In almost every area of life, we have plans to prepare for what's coming. You know, for a lot of people, the biggest stress when we talk about planning and preparation is retirement, right? Because it has become a lot more expensive to retire. I've been told, I remember, well, I remember when, you know, public schools actually still, I don't maybe they still have econ classes, but I remember at 17 years old going through economics class, I was told that by the time I was 18 or 19, I should be preparing for retirement. And I was like, I mean, I was planning on going to you know, college at that point, but I was like, at the time, I was working at Subway. Like, how do I prepare for retirement when I'm working at Subway, right? And here's what I'm going to, before I go on, before I go on and, 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 and really get into the meat of this, here's what I want to tell you. It is abject foolishness to not prepare for the events of life just because Jesus is coming back. There was an entire generation of believers that were so convinced that Christ was coming back in their lifetime that they started spending wildly. They didn't plan for retirement. They didn't plan for anything because they're just like, what's the point of planning? Jesus is coming back in 20 years. First of all, when someone tells you they're pretty sure they know when Jesus is coming back, I can absolutely hands down tell you that's not when he's coming back. Because the Bible literally tells us, no man knows the time or the hour except the Father alone. So the moment a man tells you, I've had a vision, no you didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I got to tell somebody. 
that every generation of the last at least 200 years has believed that our generation is when Jesus is coming back. Now, on one hand, here's the problem, is that for those of us who are a little bit more leery about end times talk, what we can end up doing is we can ignore end times realities. What I mean by that is that if you're uncomfortable hearing that Jesus is coming back, often you kind of, it becomes a colloquialism within your mind and not a reality. Like you see, you see how things are going in culture and you're like, oh man, really use you now, Jesus. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jesus on back. (laughs) But at the same time, we live, we live as though he actually isn't coming back. Can I tell you the proper posture of a believer who both understands that Christ is coming back and also understands that we don't know when? It's that we live as though he's coming back tomorrow. And we plan as though he's coming back in a thousand years. That means that I can plan for my future and my children's future and their children's future while at the same time living very open-handed and saying, you know what? My retirement actually doesn't matter all that much. If I hear the trumpet, I'm not going to be thinking to myself, oh my gosh, my 401k. (laughs) The economy, what's this going to do to the economy? I'm going to say something real briefly about the, about the, uh, the ten virgins here. Five of them brought enough oil for what they thought would be the time frame the bridegroom was coming in. The other five brought enough so that it wouldn't matter when he came, they'd be ready. Can I tell you what the oil is in this particular parable? It's endurance. You know, a lot of us Especially those of us that, you know, that really have a, have a deep zeal for the Lord. You know, our prayer is, Lord, don't let my fire go out. My counter would be, don't let your oil run out. Fire doesn't appear on its own unless you're God and you just drop it from heaven, right? Like, fire doesn't appear on its own. I don't look, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I was tasked with, you know, keeping the, the, the fire going in the fireplace. And in the mornings when I would light it, I couldn't just look at it and say, Fire! No, I actually had to put things in there and light them on fire. If you want to keep your fire going, you actually need to tend your oil more than you tend your fire. Revelation 1-7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Listen to this next part. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so. Amen. What's John saying? He's saying, man, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be the most amazing day in history for some. And it's going to be the worst day in history for many. We are people who should be excited about the Lord's return. Can I tell you why I'm not telling you this? 
I'm not telling you this because I see things happening in our culture and I keep thinking to myself, man, Jesus, you really need to come back. I'm telling you this because I need to remind you of the actual hope that we have. The hope that we have is not that you'll be a really good person because you were a bad person before. The hope that we have is not that because you tithe, God's going to bless your finances. The hope that we have isn't even that we have eternal life in Christ. The hope that we have is that there is a point in history in which Jesus is going to come back with judgment in his right hand. He's going to judge everyone. He's going to remake the world a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to take everything back to its perfected form. The hope that we have... See, here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. If you heard the trumpet right now, would you mourn or would you shout? The question I would ask, if, <laughs> if you're not shouting, why are you mourning? Why? Is it because you feel like you have more to do here? Is it because you feel like your goals haven't been accomplished? Is it because, like Augustine, you're praying the prayer, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Make me pure, but not yet. You know, when I was, I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> church kids do this, by the way. When I was a kid, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, please don't come back until I get married. Preferably a while after I get married. Like, you come back on my wedding night, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Here's what I'm going to tell you. This is going to be a shocker to you. Jesus is better than your marriage. Amen. Jesus is better than your family. It's why he doesn't bat an eye when Christ has told us, he's, I've preached on this before, but he's told at one point in time, he's, he's at a place and he's preaching and, and, and someone comes to him and says, Master, your, mother's, your mother and your brothers are here to get you. Now, we don't exactly know why they were there. There's a lot of wild speculation, but the point was they were interrupting Jesus in the middle of what he was called to do. And so instead of saying, oh, man, I better take this call. Oh, man, I better pause what God has called me to do so I can figure this out with my family. He says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the Lord's work. Now, of course, Jesus can say that where you might have to like tamp that down a little bit, right? Your mother-in-law comes and talks to you. You might want to like not just be like, who's my mother? <laughs> I take it easy, okay? <laughs> the point is, everything in this life is fleeting, you know, there's another parable in which Jesus talks about the day of judgment is like, a, it's like everything being brought in through a fire, that the works that are hay and wood and stubble will burn, and the things that are gold and, and silver and gems will remain. What is he saying? He's saying that the things that don't matter won't come with you. The things that matter do. 
our recreation doesn't come with us. I'm not saying there's not going to be like boats and stuff in heaven. I have no idea. But what I'm telling you is the boat that you currently love right now that you polish and wax every weekend, that's not going with you. That new truck you just bought, not going with you. I'm not anti-materialism. I'm just reminding you that our hope is not wealth. Number two, how are you preparing? How are you preparing? It's easy to say, what are you preparing for, right? But how are we preparing? Listen to this. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. I want you to hold that word for a minute, dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I want you to consider something real quick about what Paul is saying here. He's talking about the soul to a degree as a container. So we have this um, jar thing. It's like a decorative jar. And I thought my wife was going to put flowers into it, and she just put water into it. And I, I remember asking her, I was like, what's the, uh, what's the water for? Like, what's the, what's the point of the jar? And she was like, oh, I just saw it on, you know, on, on Instagram or Pinterest or something. It looked cool. I was like, so we just have like a water jar for a decoration. Okay. You know, the, funny thing is, the more I looked at the jar, the more I looked at the jar, I was like, that's a peaceful jar. That water is not moving. This is actually kind of cool. But I, I don't know if you know this, but especially in the summertime, water in like standing water dissipates. It evaporates. And what's interesting is, is like, especially in, like, in those couple of weeks in the summer where it's like 100 degrees all the time, that water evaporates really, really quick. And let me tell you something. The sides of that thing got a little bit scummy. Like as the water was dissipating, I started seeing the flaws and all the stuff that it left behind. Listen, you leak your soul leaks. You are surrounded by a culture that causes you to, to lose virtue simply by being who you are. The reason why Paul takes a direct correlation between drunkenness and filled with the Spirit is not because he's trying to say, hey, don't be drunk with, you know, with wine, but instead be drunk with the Spirit. You know, everybody's falling out and going crazy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen... There are a couple of ways that you can live your life. You can live your life coping or you can live your life filled. And the beauty of being filled with the Spirit is that it's not something you have to go back to the store for. It's not something, it's not something you have to pay for again. Listen, charismatics sometimes have this weird theology where because we got filled with the Spirit once, we're good. No, listen friend, you are pouring out constantly. You're pouring out constantly. You're giving of yourself. You're giving of what you have received constantly. And because that's true, I've got to tell you, you need to go back to the well. You need to get filled again. You need to get filled again. 
the interesting thing about going and filling my tank in my in our cars is that without fail they get empty again preparation is inviting the Spirit of God to fall again that we return to our high mark because let's be honest this night's getting kind of long you know it's funny Paul even says because the days are evil like we look at our culture today and we're like man the days are getting pretty evil I want to remind you that Paul was saying that in the midst of people like legitimately being like crucified the days, can I, I just got to tell somebody, the days have always been evil. You know, when people ask me, Pastor Joel, are we in the end times? <laughs> yeah. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. We've been at the end for a real long time. Now, for us, that doesn't make any sense because we're like, well, Pastor Joel, a lot has happened in 2,000 years. Yeah, but time doesn't work the same for Jesus. The Bible tells us that God is not slow as we would perceive it. In fact, it goes on to say that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. God isn't delaying. He's got a time frame. But I want to remind you, you are living in the end times right now. I want to go back to the virgins here real quick. I want you to hear that each of the groups fell asleep. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that the, that the wise ones stayed awake and the foolish ones fell asleep. No, everybody fell asleep. And this is completely natural to mankind. I mean, Jesus' own disciples, he goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he says, stay here and pray. I'm going to go over here and pray. Comes back, they fell asleep. He goes again, and he goes to a different spot. He says, okay, guys, remember how you fell asleep? You already had a nap, okay? Don't go to sleep again. And he comes back, and they fell asleep again. Now, it's easy for us to be like, well, if I had been there. No, if you'd have been there, you'd have fallen asleep too, because that is human nature. It is human nature to sleep on God. It's common to the church. We go through times and seasons following revival that we fall asleep. We forget that Jesus is worth waiting on. We forget how good he is. We forget that we aren't the point of the gospel. He is. We forget. But there is always a faithful cry that goes out in every generation to wake up. Wake up. If you've been asleep, wake up. If your oil is low, wake up. If you find yourself burnt out, wake up. If you find yourself not passionate about the things of God like you once were, friend, I got to tell you, wake up. Wake up, church. I'm not telling you to wake up to politics. I'm not telling you to wake up to social justice. I'm telling you to wake up to Jesus. Because he's the only thing worth living for. He's the only thing worth... Wake up. Sometimes in the waiting, we forget that God has a purpose and a plan for us. We forget that there is a job to do. 
Friend, I want to tell somebody in the house today that the season that God has prepared for you is at hand. So you better make sure that you're loaded up on oil. And let me tell you something. Can I tell you how you don't get there? You don't get there by reading another leadership book. You don't get there with another self-help seminar. You're not going to get there with moral therapeutic deism. You're not even going to, can I be honest with you? You're not even going to get there through a fiery sermon. Like preacher's going to preach. I'm just preaching at you. You know how you get there? By worshiping. By asking God once again to meet you where you're at. By asking him to fill you again. By asking him to step in again. Man, can I, can I be honest with you? I am an idiot sometimes. Like anybody else out there like that? Like just flat dumb. Because I know, here's what I know. I know that every single time that I've been in through, through stressful or difficult situations, when I am willing to stop, get out my guitar, or put on some worship music and actually worship, God is always faithful to show up. You know what the last thing I want to do is when I'm stressed? Worship. And yet, I know that if I do, my circumstances will change. Wretched man that I am, why don't I do it? Because when I'm led by my flesh, I do the things my flesh wants and I don't do the things my spirit wants. But when I decide to be led by the spirit, I get into his presence. I get into the throne room. I throw my crown down at his feet. And you know what happens? I get perspective. Can I remind you what worship is? I mean, it's a lot. Okay, so just calm down. a reminder that you're not in control but the beauty is someone else is, is a lot powerful than you that's wealthier than you and that's all just a lot smarter than you it comes from a place of repentance not just from sin, but from apathy. Listen, can I tell you the truth? And this is, this is like the final thing here before. I, we're just going to worship this morning. I can't give you my oil. I can't give you my oil. Like, that's actually part of this lesson here. You can't rely on me for what fuels you to follow Jesus. You can't rely on me you can't rely on me to take from what I have for myself and give it to you because you were too lazy to get it for yourself. I'm sorry, I hope I didn't offend anybody there, but I gotta be honest with you this morning. I can't give you what I've got. I can, I can try to inspire you. I can, I can hope that the Spirit will convict you, but ultimately, you come to me for oil and I'm gonna say, I got just about as much as I can handle for myself. God gave me what is sufficient for me and he's willing to give you what is sufficient for you. I can't give you my oil. The beauty is I don't have to because oil is not that hard to get. I mean, if you think about it, even in this, even in this parable, what, is, what, are, what, are the, what are the wise ones saying to the foolish ones? They say, why don't you go to the guy who's selling oil? In 
essence, they were like, why didn't you just go and get your oil? We bought it already. Go back to the oil guys. Can I tell you this morning, you can fill your oil up. Can I tell you tomorrow morning, you can fill your oil up. Can I tell you that on Tuesday at 2 p.m., you can fill your oil up. Can I tell you that Friday night at 8 o'clock, instead of going to the bar, you can fill your oil up. oil if you're lacking friend stop asking where's my oil and ask God to fill you we are so prideful sometimes and all it takes is surrender come on why don't you stand on your feet this morning just going to go back into worship. And here's what I want to encourage you to say. If you're burnt out, if you're tired, if you recognize, man, I need the oil. I need the oil today. Can I tell you something? We are not asking God for anything that's outside of his will today. Paul didn't say, ask to be filled in the spirit. He said, be continually filled in the spirit. What it implies is that when we come to God with surrendered hearts and we ask him to fill us, he absolutely will every time. I have absolute confidence and faith today that if we're asking God, Lord, it has been a long year. It has been a long COVID. It has been a long whatever it is that you, it's been long. If you're still empty, you don't have to be. Can we do this all over this place? If you're just recognizing, man, I need the oil. I need, to, I, I need a fresh filling. I need a fresh fire. I need, I need to get reignited today. Can we just lift our hands all over this place? God, we are not asking for anything outside of your will. We're not asking for anything outside of, of scriptural experience. I'm not asking for any new thing. I'm asking for the old thing. I'm not asking for, I'm not asking for something that's crazy. I'm asking for something you already told us you'd give us. So this morning, God, I pray for a fresh filling, a fresh wind, a fresh wind, a fresh wind, a fresh wind, a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in this place. God, for every empty space, for every empty space, God, we pray right now that your spirit would fall. Come on, let's get into this song right here, God.
God, I just declare over your people this morning, fresh encounters, fresh encounters this morning in their devotional life. I just hear God say, I'm going to meet you deeper in the simple places. I'm going to meet you deeper in the simple things. There's going to be people driving to work that have wild encounters and visions of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to crash, so God's going to, you're going to be good. I just hear the Lord say, I hear the Lord say that this is going to be a season, a season of deep hunger. A season of deep hunger. We've been hungry, but I, I feel like, I just hear the Lord say, I'm going, to, I'm going to take you into such a place of hunger that it's going to change everything about your life. Everything you've been consuming, everything that you've been using to cope, I'm going to make you so hungry for the things of the Spirit that these other things are going to look like garbage. God, we pray this morning, we pray this morning that we would be a people of oil, that we would be a church of oil, that we would be a place where, we, this, would be a, this would be a house and an altar, Lord, that every single time that we come in, God, that you are refreshing our hearts and breathing life into our spirits. I got one question to ask this morning. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Listen, a lot of us have been praying for revival for a long time, but I want to remind somebody this morning that revival is not what happens to culture. It's what happens to the church. Sometimes we look at our nation and we say, well, we got to go, man, we got to have revival. No, we need to look at the church and say, we need revival. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, or you have walked away from the Lord, and today's the day that you wanna come in and you wanna repent for your sins. Listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. The good news of Jesus is not just that you have relationship or have access to relationship. The good news of Jesus is that he will forgive your sins. He will forgive your falseness. He will forgive your trespasses. Not only will he forgive them, he will wipe them clean. You will become a new person. Listen, if that's you today, and you're saying, Pastor Joel, I need to get right with God. I don't care if it's the first time, that'd be awesome. Or if it's, you're realizing that you have functionally walking away, you've walked away from Jesus, and today's the day you want to return to him. Friend, I just want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. If that's you in the house this morning, thank you, sir. Anybody else this morning? Come on. Jesus, we thank you today for the gift of salvation. We thank you that today salvation has come to this house. God, we pray. We pray even now, Lord, that you fill him anew with your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you are always ready to save. God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise belongs to you mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we give God a shout of praise this morning?